You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a three-part series of messages entitled Ruth and Boaz, A Love Story that J. Vernon McGee presented at Founders Week 1982. Then we'll close the week with a two-part message on Job, God's Example, from Founders Week 1980. J. Vernon McGee was a pastor, Bible teacher, theologian, and speaker on the Through the Bible radio program. Now here is J. Vernon McGee on Today in the Word Radio. A young man was expressing his affection for his girlfriend, and he concluded it by saying, he says, I do not have a convertible Cadillac like Harry, and I do not have a yacht like Harry, but I love you. And she says, I love you too, but tell me more about Harry. And tonight, we want to hear more about Ruth. And if you have your Bible, and I trust you have, you'll turn to the little book of Ruth. If you got to the book of Judges, you're almost there. If you got to 1 Samuel, you just passed it. It's a a small book, but has a tremendous message. And many of you were not here this afternoon when we began. We covered chapter 1 rather hurriedly, but we got uh, through it. And let me say this. It's a, it's a brochure of beauty. It's a love story in the Bible, and God uses the love of a man and a woman to illustrate the love that Christ has for the church. The figure is here, and we'll see it especially uh, and on Wednesday afternoon. That's when we conclude this series. We saw this afternoon a family leave Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and praise, and go into the land of Moab. And God said, Moab is my washpot, or Moab is my garbage can. They're a prodigal family going into a far country, and the prodigal son or the prodigal family always get their whipping in the far country. When they come home, things will be good for them. But in the far country, they get their whipping. God's children, he takes care of them. He takes them to the woodshed. And if you can sin and get by with it, you're not God's child. Because God uh, always chastens his children when, when they get into sin, especially. And so this family, tragedy came to them. They went out a quartet, three men and a woman, and a man and his wife and two sons. The two sons married Moabite women, and the two boys died, the father died. And now there were just three women left, three widows. But one of the widows, Orpah, turned, and she went back to idolatry. But Ruth made a decision for God. Orpah walks off the page of Scripture into eternity, and that ends her story. But the beautiful story of Ruth now begins. They return to Bethlehem, and they are a sad sight. 
This family that went out as a quartet come back now with just two widows, and they are very sad looking, but they actually, they've come at an auspicious time, and we are told they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. That ends chapter 1. And now we come to chapter 2. Chapter 1 was in the land of Moab. And we divide this little book geographically. Chapter 2 is in the fields of Boaz. That's where we'll be this evening. And then we'll try to finish on Wednesday afternoon on the threshing floor of Boaz and then in the heart and home of Boaz. Now I want to begin reading in chapter 2 at verse 1, but I remind you again that this woman, Naomi, said, we went out full, we've come back empty. Now I do not know how much is full, and I do not know how much is empty, but I know it's a long ways from being full to being empty, and that's the distance that they've come now, and they are uh, uh, in straitened circumstances. They're in uh, difficult days. And we read now in chapter 2, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Now we've come to the most important character besides Ruth in the little book of Ruth. And this man, we're told, is a kinsman. I hope tonight we'll be able to get where we can talk about the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer was a law that God made to protect his people, to protect the family especially, and to protect property. It was God's way of taking care of his people, as we shall see. And this man now is identified as being a kinsman of Elimelech, who was the husband of Naomi. That means he's in a position to act as a kinsman redeemer, to redeem Naomi and also Ruth. She's now in the family. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. He's called a mighty man of wealth. And his name is Boaz. Boaz means, as we've seen in these others, is in whom is strength. And he is called here a mighty man of wealth. I'm told that that could be translated a mighty man of war and also a mighty man of the law. He's a mighty man of wealth, and that translation is used here very definitely because one of the elements of a kinsman redeemer is that he must be able to redeem. A poor kinsman's not going to be able to help this family. He'll have to be able to redeem. He's a mighty man of wealth. He's a mighty man of war. He was away in one of those many uh, internecine warfares that were carried on 
in Israel in those days, and that's the reason he hadn't met Naomi and Ruth when they got back, because obviously we'll see tonight he had not met her before. And he's also a mighty man of the law. We'll find out he knew the Mosaic law. Now, this man is introduced to us for a very definite reason, because Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Now, Ruth knew the Mosaic law also, at least she knew part of it. And she knew that God had made an arrangement to take care of the poor and to take care of strangers. And she happens to be both, stranger and poor. And uh, the law that God gave pertained to an agricultural people. We must remember that Israel was an agricultural people. The Mosaic law covers a great deal that had to do with agriculture, as we'll see here this evening. And the very interesting thing, and I just say this as an aside, when the Jew is out of that land, he's a shopkeeper. He's never a farmer. When he goes back to that land, he puts his hands in the soil. And every member of Israel has to be a member of today, even of a kibbutz. And in that kibbutz, they spend so much, I don't care whether he's a doctor or whether he's Mr. Bagan, he spends several weeks a year out there digging in the soil that because the land and the people belong together, and God, God tied them together in the Mosaic law. Now, he, he made a law whereby he took care of poor people. Uh, God never gave out food stamps. I don't know why he didn't think of that, but he, he never did. And uh, he had another way of doing it, but he took care of poor people. And his way of doing it was a very interesting way. This girl says, let me go glean in the field and uh, glean in the field of someone where I'll find grace. Because this girl knew that according to the Mosaic law, she's an outcast. Deuteronomy 23.3, a Moabite and Ammonite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. They can't make it. How are they going to get in? And she shut out. And her mother-in-law had told her that. She said, if you go back with me to the land, it means perpetual poverty. It means actually perpetual widowhood. None of our people would jeopardize their possession in order to marry you. And therefore, you will have to accept that. She had accepted it. Now she says, I must go into the field of someone where I'll find grace. And so now she's going to make that move. She says, let me now go to the field and glean ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, 
go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to a portion of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, personally, I don't like the translation in the New Schofield Bible. Her hap was to go into the field, and they still use the word happens. It, the, the word happens is a word of chance, perhaps, or just happens to be that way. It's a word of chance. And we're told here that she went to glean in the fields, and by chance, she went into the fields of Boaz, and she went in there by chance. Now, I know somebody's going to say she had a dream the night before, and she dreamed it, you know, what field it was, and she went down. Uh, but she didn't. Uh, somebody's going to say uh, God put up a green arrow there for her so she'd be able to find her way, and he did not. Uh, somebody's going to say, well, maybe an angel sort of nudged her along. No, no angel did. If you had been there and said to Ruth, why in the world are you going in this field to glean? She'd say, well, I don't know, except uh, I came down out of Bethlehem, and I've walked down that road several times and walked back up it. And uh, as you go down that road, there were fields on this side and fields on that side. And as a, a poor person and as a stranger, she's got a right to go and glean in any field. And... Uh, she just happens to go into the field of Boaz. And uh, so what about it? Uh, well, somebody says it just couldn't be that way. God uh, certainly has led her some way. Well, I'm here to say to you that I don't think God did. And it's pretty important what field she goes in. When she went down that road, the angels of heaven climbed to the battlements of heaven and held their breath because if she doesn't go in the right field, Jesus will not be born in Bethlehem. She's got to go in the right field. So the Lord must have been out of nudging. No, he didn't. If you'd been there and said, Ruth, why'd you go in this field? I think she'd have said this very practically. I looked over here. And there weren't many glean in there. That means that fellow's a skin flint. And, <laughs> and, and, and there wasn't many gleaning in this fellow's field either. So I didn't go in there. But when I got down here, ooh, look at the poor people in there gleaning. I may be able to glean in that field. And I think a very practical reason. Now let me just pause to say this, because I hear so much today about what is God's will for you? I read a book the other day by a man that wrote a book, and I just wonder what God's will was for him to write that book, to tell the truth. Uh, I, I didn't find out how you can find out God's will. And I have my doubts whether you can put down any rule today and say that you're going to have a dream or God is going to. This girl had a very practical reason.
And that's the, the reason she, she acted upon. Her hap was to go into that field. And that reveals to me how God can overrule down here in this world. And she went in the field of Boaz, and she hadn't the foggiest notion of whose field it was. She didn't know whose field it was, and, but she went in there to glean. Now, let me call your attention to the, these laws that God gave about gleaning. I don't want to bore you with them, but let me call your attention to about three of them. In, Deut- in Leviticus 19.9, God says, And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field. When thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleanings of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now, God says to his people, when you go into your field of harvest, you are to leave the gleanings, and you're not even to glean out the corner of the field. You're to leave that for the poor. Now listen to this one in Deuteronomy 24, 19. When thou cuttest down thine harvest and thy field, and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. And may I say to you, that the thing that have brought charity into this world and a consideration for poor, and it can be put on one basis and one basis alone, and that is because of the Lord your God. It's not in the natural man to be generous. It's only as he seeks to honor and glorify the God that he serves. And God says, you will tell the world that you belong to me when you do that in your fields. This was a lesson that God gave the world in that day. And so this girl has gone into the field on that basis. Now, gleaning in that day, I'm told, leaves anywhere from 10 to 30 percent of the grain in the field. You can... It's done by hand. I watch women in Israel up, uh, up above Shechem and near Dothan. They were, they were out cutting the grain, and they were doing a lousy job of it, I can tell you. It looked to me like they were leaving at least half of it, but they were doing it by hand as they were doing it in that day. And so they, they left a great deal. Now, today they don't. Now, some farmer down in Kansas told me this, and I don't know whether it's true or not. He told me, he says, uh, Dr. McGee, we have now a, a reaper that McCormick has made for us. It goes through, it cuts the grain, it shocks it, and then it, it thrashes it, and it sacks it. It puts it in a sack, weighs the sack, and if one little grain falls off, It has an arm that reaches over, picks up that little grain, puts it in the sack. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but he told me that. 
may I say to you, they get it all today. But uh, back there, you could count on at least 20 to 30 percent of the grain being left in the field. Now, the poor people could come back of the reapers, and that's what they would get. And this is the position now that Ruth is in, acting on the Mosaic law, and she goes into the field, and she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a portion of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. But she didn't know that. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he got out to the field late in the morning. I think he had to go by the bank of Bethlehem to get the payroll, and so he didn't get out there until around 10 o'clock. And notice this. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said unto the reapers, and notice this, The Lord be with you. That's capital speaking to labor. Isn't that marvelous? And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. That sounds like the president of the Teamsters Union talking to the government, doesn't it? Or does it? May I say to you, isn't this a lovely relationship? Labor responds, the Lord bless you. A capital says, the Lord be with you, and the Lord bless you. There still, thank the Lord, businesses in this country that are run by Christian men, and they run it as a Christian business. There is a factory in San Diego, California, that the, the man runs a Christian business, and they stop every day at 12 noon and turn on our Through the Bible radio program. And if the man in the factory doesn't want to hear it, he goes outside and eats his lunch. And it's too bad if it's raining. And so, <laughs> and so he generally stays in and listens. And a man told me that recently. He said, I said I did not want to listen to that preacher. I went outside, it was raining, and I came back in, and he says, after about two weeks, I got converted. May I say to you that how wonderful it is to find businesses like that. Well, Boaz was running a Christian business. Oh, a godly business, let me say that. All right, now let's... Will, now will you notice this? And he, when he comes to the, uh, to the field now, he greets his workmen in this very godly manner, and then he looks over his field. He looks at his workmen, how they're coming, and he looks at that gr great crowd of poor people that are in there gleaning, and then he sees her. <laughs> he sees Ruth. And... Uh, Notice what he says. Then said Boaz unto his servant, who was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? And uh, I wish I could give it to you literally. I'll do my best. If you really want to know what he said, when he looked over the field and saw all of the poor gleaning, and he saw this one girl. He said, 
Now, a Hebrew professor tells me that's really not literal, but he says it is a pretty good interpretation. Uh, 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 you know what it is? It's love at first sight. He's fallen in love with this girl, and I mean he's fallen in love with her. And he now, you're going to see that he proves that he's fallen in love with her. Whose damsel is this? In other words, he had heard about her, as we shall see. And he had been through all this before. All of the mothers in Bethlehem who had marriageable daughters had had him over for tea. And he, had ne he never got the message, you know. And now he sees a girl, and somebody's already told him about it, said, Ooh, you ought to see this girl that came back with Naomi. And she's a fine girl. She's a marvelous character, and she's a Moabite. And, uh, and Boaz said, I've heard all that before. And now he goes in the field, and for the first time he sees it, and it's love at first sight. And you say to me, do you believe in love at first sight? I sure do. I proposed to my wife the second date that I had with her. <laughs> and, the, and the only reason that I didn't propose the first date I just didn't want her to think I was in a hurry. <laughs> she was a school teacher, and I was a new pastor in town, and the leading elder was the superintendent of the schools, and so she had a contract. We did wait till the end of school to get married, but I proposed right away because there was another fella. Uh, uh, and I, I didn't like the competition. And, and I understand about Boaz. He's fallen in love with this girl. Whose damsel is this? Now, will you notice the servant is almost apologetic. And the servant who was set over the reapers answered and said, It's the Moabitish damsel who came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab almost apologizing. He doesn't quite understand the interest that uh, Boaz is showing. And she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now, except that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, now he dresses her for the first time, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here close by my maidens. Is he interested or is he interested? Uh, can you imagine a man who owns a field and it, it, here come the poor people in, tromping down his grain? And he said, for goodness sakes, don't come back here tomorrow. That would be the thing he'd feel like saying. But here he says to this girl, you stay right here to glean. We want, we, we want you to glean in this field. And, and this man is definitely interested. Now, he says, let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young man that they shall not touch thee, 
And when thou art thirsty, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. He immediately puts his mantle of protection around that girl. He says, from here on, nobody touches her. Now, you and I tonight cannot imagine the insults that she had to bear and uh, the indignity that uh, she was subjected to because she's a Moabite and she's good-looking. And you know what would happen. I was on the platform uh, in a meeting where the young lady that—this was several years ago— was Miss America. She'd won the beauty contest. And I asked her I, about her experiences, and uh, I said, uh, what is the thing that has really uh, been the, uh, the new thing for you? She said, I never knew that I could be insulted as much as I've been insulted. And she says, Dr. McGee, some of them have been Christian men, so-called. May I say to you, you don't know what this girl Ruth has been subjected to, but Boaz does, and he immediately puts his mantle of protection around her, says, from here on, no one is even going to touch her. No one will be able to make an insulting remark to her from now on. And is he interested or not? Now will you notice? Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Now, that's a question that Ruth asks. Why have I found grace in thine eyes? Now, I can answer Ruth's question. Uh, I can say to her, Ruth, I'll tell you why you found grace in his eyes. You go home and look in the mirror. You're lovely. You're beautiful. And not only that, but you have a marvelous reputation. You have a wonderful character right here in Bethlehem. And that's the reason he's fallen for you. I can explain that. But I have another question, and I can't answer it. Why have I found grace in his eyes? Why have I found grace in God's eyes? You know, today, we don't spend much time with that, do we? We don't uh, think too much along that line anymore. Why have I found grace in his eyes? Now, don't, don't tell me to go look in a mirror. <laughs> I've already done that. <laughs> and, and may I say to you, there's nothing there that would call forth the grace of God. Uh, you know, we have a feeling today, and, and I'm afraid it's in the church that there is just a little merit in us, after all, that we somehow or another, we merit the grace of God. Another crowd, they don't. Uh, may I say to you, if we could see ourselves as God sees us, 
we couldn't stand ourselves. We're not attractive to him. Where do we get the idea today that we are so attractive to God? We are sinners, lost sinners, and we deserve unmitigated hell. And I do not mean to be crude. And he is the one who saw us in our poverty, and he saw us in our need. And actually, his love could not save us. God never saves by love. God only saves by grace. You see, God loved man so much that he gave his only begotten son to provide a redemption, a redemption which Christ purchased for us with his blood, if you please. And it made it possible for a holy God today to look down at this little world that we are in and hold out his arms and say, you can come now. You can come to me now. A holy God can save you by grace because Christ paid the price down at the cross for you and me. And it's a tremendous price. You know, there's a word that got out of our vocabulary for a while. It was the word ransom. And uh, it, even in the church, it got lost. When I first entered the ministry, didn't hear much about it. It's coming back now, and one of the reasons actually has been because some of these rich kids have been kidnapped, you know. And uh, when these rich kids have been kidnapped, Papa had to play, pay a ransom to get the kid back. And ransom got back in. Had, uh, had you ever seen that grandson of Paul Getty, the richest man in the world before he died, he's said to be? And uh, he, uh, no one knows what he paid. I read recently that it's estimated he paid $2 billion to get that kid back. <laughs> Somebody paid a price for me, and I wasn't worth it. And he paid a price for you. The Lord Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom. He gave his life a ransom. Paul said to those carnal Corinthians, You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, your gods. We belong to him if, if we've been redeemed. He paid a price. And Peter says it wasn't silver and gold or precious stones. It was his precious blood that he paid. He ransomed us. And on that basis, God can extend grace to us today. We have a, these definitions that are given. Grace is unmerited favor. It's more than that. To begin with, that's a redundancy. If it's a favor, it's unmerited. You don't have to say that. Uh, it is the fact that a holy God now, through the redemption in Christ, can reach down and save sinners by grace. That is, 
that the sinner only comes in faith and trusts Christ. That's all. Now, let's get back here to our story. She says, why have I found grace in thine eyes? Now listen to Boaz. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been shown me all that thou hast done for thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people whom thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Isn't that lovely, what he says to her? And he'd heard about her, what a wonderful person she was, and he just couldn't believe that she could be that good-looking, you see. And when he saw her, this man went head over heels. Now, will you notice? And this is such a lovely thing. And under whose wings thou art come to trust. God said to Israel when he brought them out, of How I bore you on eagle wings and brought you to myself. And the Lord Jesus said, How many times I would have gathered you, O Israel, as a mother hen gathers her little chickens under wings, and you would not. May I say to you, this Moabite woman has come to trust under the wings of the God of Israel. How wonderful it is. Now, I must move on. Now, he says to her, The Lord recompense thy work. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me. And because thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And she ought to thank the Lord for that that she's not like the rest of them. She's different. And uh, now this, this man is making it clear to her that he intends to do well by her. And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou here and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched grain, and she did eat and was satisfied and left. Now, we think of that being a crude day. You know, they're not civilized like we are today. And uh, they, you know, uh, are just not up to us. But I say he did pretty well. He met her 10 o'clock in the morning and had lunch with her that very day. Now, you can't move faster than that, can you? Uh, And this man here is moving. And when she got up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not, and let fall also some of the handfuls on purpose for her, and leave them that they may glean them, and rebuke her not. James Smith wrote that fine set of books, Handfuls of Purpose, and here's where he got it. It's what uh, Boaz is saying to his workmen. Now, you remember in Deuteronomy, it says that if you leave a sheep in the field, you don't go back and get it. You leave that for the poor. Now, Boaz says to his workman this. He says, if you see her gleaning back of you, look around, and when nobody's looking, shove her a sheaf. You know, 
just pass it back, and then you move right on up. And when she gets up to it, she'll say, Yoo-hoo, you left the sheath. You'll say, oh, I did, but the Mosaic law won't let me come get it, so it's yours, you see. Uh, uh, Boaz has really taken care of this girl, by the way. Now, I'm going to have to move right to the, to the conclusion. We, we find that when she came home, she told her mother-in-law, and her mother-in-law said, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not withheld his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. Now, I'll talk about the Hebrew goel next time and not now. I want to close. We are told here, So Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept close by the maidens of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now, I'm told that's about six weeks. Uh, barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she gleaned in the fields of Boaz. And every afternoon, why, you could see late in the afternoon, you could see Boaz and Ruth walking up that road into Bethlehem. And the town is buzzing now. Our most acceptable bachelor has fallen. It is obvious. And he comes up to the gate, you know, and he talks to her there. And uh, uh, Naomi looks out the window and sees it. And she sees that the, that man is really in love. He looked like, I think, a dying calf in a thunderstorm. <laughs> poor, poor, poor fellow, he's really fallen for the girl. And so every afternoon during barley harvest and wheat harvest, they come walking up. And she's wearing widow's weeds, and he is in love. But do you know he can't propose to her? She has got to claim him as a kinsman redeemer if she wants him. He cannot propose to her. Now, what are they going to do? Well, we always stop at a cliffhanger. And you won't be able to sleep tonight wondering how in the world they're going to work this out. But let me say this. They'll work it out. And Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon at 2.30, I guess it is, we're going onto the threshing floor of Boaz for the final. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and one of three messages J. Vernon McGee presented on Ruth and Boaz, a love story at Founders Week 1982. J. Vernon McGee was a pastor, Bible teacher, theologian, and speaker on the Through the Bible radio program. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.